continuing on with our series on the life of King David. Hear now the word of God from 1 Samuel chapter 30. (laughs) David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahoniom of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Valley, where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk water for three days and three nights. David asked him, who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Carthites, some territory belonging to Judah, and the Negev of Caleb, Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. He led David down, and there they were, scattered of the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Besor Valley. They came out to meet David and the men with him. As David and his men approached, he asked them how they were. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. David replied, no. My brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us, 
and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All shall share alike. David made this a statute, an ordinance for Israel from that day to this. When David reached Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah or his friends, saying, Here is a gift to you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. David sent it to those who were in Bethel, Ramoth, Negev, and Jeter. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Come, Holy Spirit, lead us again. And I pray that these words of mine may not be my words, but they may be your words. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock. And David's rock. <clears throat> and our redeemer. Amen. Well, are you like me? Do you have an ice dispenser? Do you like your ice dispenser? I like my ice dispenser, except when it dispenses too much ice. You ever do this? It, you stick it out of the dispenser, and it all comes tumbling out, and then it tumbles on the floor. And then sometimes it breaks into multiple pieces, smack, and scatters across the floor like a puck in an ice rink. Whew. And then you have to pick it up, you have to fish it up, and put it in your, in your little dustbin. But then it occurred to me, just this morning, that this is a parable this is a parable. When you are under the source and the source rains down on you, it spills out to the world. You know the source. Do you know the source? You know God? This is what happened to David, but more on that in a moment. It's been a wild couple of chapters in David's life, but... Here is a low point. When David and his company arrived back to Ziklag, they find it had been raided by the Amalekites and all the wives of his men were taken. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Such strong language here. This is strong, this is visceral. But even more wild is what happens next. David's own guys want to kill him. This is a double whammy. David's family members are taken. Then his men rebel. But, but, verse 6, David found strength in the Lord his God. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. David worshipped. When the times got tough and it got overwhelming, David worshiped. David called on his pastor, Abiathar, for counsel. David went deep within himself, met God, and found strength and direction. As his exterior world collapsed, he returned to the interior, Dr. Peterson says, rebuilt his primary identity, recovered his base, back to basics, back to the source. David gets back to the basics in two key ways. He's got a live person, Abiathar, his pastor, his priest. And then he's got this thing called an ephod. Bring me the ephod. Scholars tell us that the terminology here refers to the practice of inquiring, asking Yahweh, seeking his will in specific situations. 
This has happened elsewhere in First and Second Samuel. It's kind of a pattern. So there's a technical expression here for inquiring to an oracle of God when a simple yes or no is sought. And inquiries could be answered by means of casting lots, what they call the urim and thummim, which is stored in the ephod, which is the breastplate. But here it doesn't mention, it just says bring with the ephod, and then he gets a direct word from God. Verse 8, pursue them. He says, shall I, shall I go after these guys? And God says, yeah, go get them. Such clarity, pursue them. You will certainly overtake them and succeed them in the rescue. So not only is there clarity on what to do, but there's clarity on what the outcome's gonna be. Sometimes God's guidance is like that. Sometimes it's not. But the fact that it can be means we can seek it. And one way or another, you go to the source, and what happens? It pours out more than you can imagine. Listen, stay tuned. David gets the word from the source, and he goes and gets them with 600 guys. Well, he has 600 guys. 200 were too tired to go. 400 go. They do. They work with this Egyptian they find. They fight. They fight all night. Verse 17, David fought them from the Amalekites from dusk to dawn. So he's taking back from the people who took from him at God's command. He's fighting from dusk until the evening of the next day. It's not quick. It's all night. Then all day until sundown. God guaranteed the victory, but David had to get into it. He had to participate in it. There's a role for him. There's work to do. Mind, body, spirit, he had to go all in, in the trust of the God who promised him. So it is with all the battles we fight. I wonder how long that night felt to David. I wonder what you battle at night. What forces seek to steal from you? Your own body, your own mental struggles, things that bother you, disappointments, real losses in your life. Everybody's got a battle. Everybody's fighting those forces that would, wish to that would wish to plunder you somewhere. Your spirit to fight will likely be proportional to the amount of time that you spend under the ice maker, I mean under God, right? Remember, David went to the priests first. David had a guy, he had Abiathar, the priest, and that ephod. What people or symbols do you have in your life for the fight? Friends, I hope. That's what we're here to be. Small groups, I hope. That's been huge in my life. Prayer, of course. A particular worship song that means a lot to you. When Jill, my wife, was fighting breast cancer, uh, which she had an outstanding outcome, but I listened to um, 
Days of Elijah by Donnie McClurkin again and again and again and again. Ellipses, dot, dot, dot. With the youth a while back, we made um, prayer beads. Jill and I took them and we made these prayer beads. Uh, ones like, these aren't the, one of the ones we made, but I don't know how many of you have heard of this, but now this isn't the same as a Catholic rosary, but these are like a Protestant version of it. And these can be uh, helpful, not that the prayer beads themselves have power, but they help me to focus on the one who does. You have a solid bead in the center, and then you have seven, and a solid one in seven. You can use your solid prayer bead to remember a scripture, and then pray each petition with each small prayer bead, and then remember the scripture again with a solid one, and, or a larger one, and, and then a smaller one, remember the request. This could be like an ephod, of course, like what we take into battle. Imagine, like David saying right before his battle, bring me my ephod, bring me my prayer beads, bring me what? What do you need to fight? A worship song? Bring me my friend. Bring me my small group. We all need help for the battle. David shows us a way. He has his pastor. He has his ephod. And through that, through those gifts, he gets in touch with his God. God gives each of us. God gifts each of us ways to get in touch with him. We're here to help you with that. And there's a myriad ways to do it. Well, they get everything back in the fight. Empowered by the one who gives all the source, God himself. They wipe them all out except the 400 guys who run away on camels. He recovers everything the Amalekites had taken, including his wives and all the other wives who were stolen. Nothing was missing. He took all the flocks and herds and then they're, they're, they're stoked. They're like, this is David's plunder. All is good, right? Well, up to a point. But then something interesting happens. When they return home to Ziklag, there's a dust up. It's interesting. It says all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers. It's interesting. He reminds me, there's a couple of parables that I'm reminded of here in this text. This one kind of reminds me of the wheat and the tares. You know, where you can't necessarily separate who's who. There are good guys and bad guys among David. And, and we're told in the, in the parable um, in, in, of Jesus that there's wheat and tares. There's good and bad among the people of God. And they're, they're, it's all get woven together. And David rolls with that. And he works with them. And these evil guys and troublemakers among David's followers said, because they did not go with us, these guys who stayed behind, don't share it with them. Don't give them any of the plunder. They could take their wife and their kids, fine, but don't give them any of the stuff. These guys just had a huge success, and now they want to grip it. They just won a major battle with the outside. Now they're fighting from within. Does it remind you of anything? You know, it's our humanity. David responds saying, no. No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. Uh, he remembers where he started, right? He has protected us and delivered us into our hands, the raiding party that came against us. This reminds me of the parable of the workers at the vineyard. Remember in Matthew 20, when all the workers got paid the same, those hired last were given the same amount as those who get hired first. In this, in this Old Testament story, 
David echoes the same sort of boss whom Jesus describes in the parable. The boss who pays everyone the same regardless of when they started working for him. In our Lord's parable, when the workers hired first complain about the workers hired last being paid the same, the boss replies, I'm not being unfair to you, the boss says. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one I hired last the same as you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. It's grace. It's grace. The focus here really isn't about the earner. The focus here is about the boss, the Lord. That's David's perspective too. His guys may have fought for it, but David has no illusions about where the victory really comes from. When his guys want to keep the goodies they got for themselves and not share it with the men who stayed behind, David says, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. All comes out. He has protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. God's presence and power to provide the provision changes one's attitude towards sharing the provision. The text is clear. The provision is given, they have been protected, and they have been delivered. They should not fool themselves into thinking they are the center. David is a savvy geopolitical operator, for sure. He knows, though, that the ultimate center of all of this is theological. This is about God. That's a massive challenge, by the way, in being a leader in Christianity, in the Christian church, to remember where all of this comes from. We are constantly tempted to, to pull, try to pull levers and arrange things in control. And, you know, it's a constant temptation of any Christian leader anywhere to, use, to, to think we're in charge, to think we have more power than we have. But remember, it starts with standing under that icebreaker, I mean, under God, and letting that pour out. And remembering that what pours out overflows, and that you cannot control God, and you cannot outgive God. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, everything they experienced was sheer grace. How could they talk about dividing things up fairly? God was treating them with marvelous and generous grace. David would see to it that they treated one another with that same marvelous and generous grace. David even sends some of the plunder back to Judah. And again, it's clear that David just doesn't think in political terms here. He says, here is a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. He knows where it comes from. Yeah, it'll help him make friends as he prepares to be a king with his local crew. That's true with his people in Judah. That's true. It's smart politics, but it's even better theology. He knows where this all comes from. And in fact, he sent even more out. David sent it out, sent out the plunder to those who were in Bethel, Ramoth and Negev and Jatir, those who were in Ararar and Sifmoth and Estimoah and Rachel, to those who were in towns of the Jeremites and the Kenites, to those in Hormah, Borashan, Athak and Hebron, and to all those in all the other places where he and his men had roamed. You can't outgive God. And as someone 
once said, faith that receives grace becomes gracious. To apply that to David here, we could say faith that receives God's generosity becomes generous. We've each been given time, talent, and treasure as part of the gospel poured out, overflowing our glass, right? More than it can handle. Like David, even when we fought hard, we know that the outcome is always and forever based in God and God's generosity. Church life is our collective response to that generosity together. We do that by sharing time, talent, and treasure far and wide. You are generous people, and that is inspiring. And our text reminds us that the God who gives, gives to us and through us. Who is God calling you to be generous with this week? David had his list here of whom he shared God's plunder with. Who is on yours? Life throws a lot at us. That's what happened to David here. But when we're grounded in God's presence and promises, when we live in God's grace, we'll not only make it, but out of that overflow coming down on us and spilling out, we will be led to share our time, talent, and treasure in sometimes counterintuitive, sometimes countercultural ways, ways that we could not have foreseen. Who is on your list? And before we even get to the list, who is your, who, who is your pastor besides me, your priest? We are a kingdom of priests. We're a priesthood of all believers. So I am your pastor, but we are all priests to each other. Who is your Abiathar? What do you have for an ephod? We don't literally do um and thum today, but we have, you could have prayer beads, a worship song. What helps you and I stay centered so that we can receive generously from the God who is so gracious that we may be gracious with the plunder he gives us to a world that so needs it? When you put your cup under a waterfall, it can't help but overflow. May it be so for you and for me in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.